one thing that we noticed was that there was this inundation of correspondence and emails from companies stating that they were standing in solidarity with Black people against racism. And so the question then, of course, became, but what are you doing, you know, in addition to just sending me this email? One of the big costs hits companies because of cancel culture, the sort of galvanizing usually via social media, encouraging folks to withdraw their attention or their financial support of an organization based on some misstep or some deeper seated issues that the organization may have. And so I think that the cost here could be financial. It could be a loss of some of that public goodwill because employees and consumers are taking back some of this power and calling out companies who are not staying accountable to these commitments. I'm your host, Michelle King, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. In recognition of this year's Pride, the grocery retailer, Marks & Spencers, better known as M&S, created a limited edition LGBT sandwich with layers of lettuce, guacamole, bacon, and tomato in a desperate attempt to link their product to a social justice issue. Marks & Spencers are not alone. Pepsi had to pull their now infamous advert featuring Kendall Jenner in a protest after backlash against the idea that protesters and police would get along better if everyone just drank a Pepsi. In 2019, Burger King launched its hashtag Feel Your Way campaign to mark Mental Health Awareness Month. The co-op, meanwhile, launched a gender-neutral gingerbread person in the name of inclusion and diversity, asking shoppers to suggest an appropriate name for it. Gillette notoriously launched an advert inspired by hashtag MeToo's challenge to toxic masculinity. Colin Kaepernick, a US football player and civil rights activist who sank to his knee rather than sing the national anthem to protest police brutality, became the face of a Nike campaign in 2018. Today's companies want you to believe that they're not just selling a car, shampoo, or a pair of jeans, but rather they're fighting for gender and racial equality. In an attempt to connect with millennials who are willing to spend more money on socially conscious products, Brands have started using progressive values as a marketing ploy and are appropriating social activism as a form of advertising. Companies want consumers to believe that this is not simply about commercial gain. Rather, openly advocating for social issues is a communication of what the company stands for. But what happens when the people who work for these companies have a very different lived experience of the brand? Our organizations that espouse values of inclusion, diversity, and equality walking the talk? Or is this just a case of wokewashing? On today's episode, inclusion experts and consultants Erin Dahl and Marlette Jackson will share the signs that your company, and maybe even you, might be engaging in wokewashing and what the costs of this are. Also, they'll address what you and your organizations can do to get real about equality. In 
In the United States, companies big and small decided to recognize Juneteenth this year. It's a holiday that commemorates the end of slavery. This decision follows the killing of George Floyd, which set off an urgent national conversation about race. Companies are usually pretty quiet at moments of public upheaval. They're hesitant to take a political stand for fear of alienating customers. But since George Floyd's killing earlier this year, businesses of all kinds have expressed their solidarity with protesters, donating millions of dollars to organizations dedicated to racial justice, and even vowing to change their office cultures to become more inclusive. And while these commitments are great, we've actually heard all of this before. Companies have been promising for decades to improve working conditions for women and to close the gender gap in leadership and pay. But yet, nothing much has changed. The pay and leadership gap remain intact. And according to a 2017 Pew Research report, 42% of women in the United States say that they face discrimination at work because of their gender. This includes being treated as less competent, receiving less support from leaders, enduring social isolation, or being denied opportunities to advance. Simply stating your company is for inclusion, diversity, and equality doesn't make it so. Here, Marilette shares why we need to hold companies accountable. I think we're often kind of in this interesting time where, you know, a lot of individuals who kind of identify as being part of the Black community are not only inundated with solidarity statements from companies, right, which is new, but also from just a variety of other different platforms, right? So when you go on social media, when you look at the news, when you read newspapers, conversations in workplaces, it's everywhere. And so I think it was just kind of like the addition of now your company is stating it is where kind of the fatigue really kicked in. Because what we've seen is that oftentimes folks will be a little unnerved because when you juxtapose these statements with the internal inequities that are being fostered in the company, it kind of gives you pause. It's like, okay, well, you say you stand with me and for me. However, when I you know, just submitted this recent um, proposal for promotion, you denied me. However, when I asked to go to this conference to you know, better my own professional development or a conference on diversity and inclusion, you denied that. Okay, but on my performance evaluations and my performance reviews, there were comments that were clearly biased. And when I brought it up, you know, I was kind of admonished. So it's really the fatigue, not only from the statements, but just the culture that these companies are creating. And that juxtaposed with this kind of woke washing, as we talked about, where it's like, well, do you really mean that? Because what you're demonstrating to me in action is different than what you're saying to the public. This year, we saw widespread disappointment and even outrage at Facebook over its policies relating to hate speech, which resulted in major advertisers joining the boycott of advertising on the social network. Unilever, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, The Hershey Company, BMW, HP, and PayPal are among some of the brands that heeded a call to hashtag stop hate for profit. And they announced that they'll halt advertising on Facebook and Facebook-owned Instagram in an effort to force the social network to rein in the hate on its platform. In recent years, brands have found themselves the victims of so-called cancel culture, 
in which consumers call for boycotts of people or companies that don't behave the way they want them to. The Facebook ad boycott demonstrates that brands are no longer just subject to cancel culture, but they're also participants in it. Here, Erin shares the real risk companies face for not living up to their values. One thing that we noticed was that there was this inundation of correspondence and emails from companies, you know, stating that they were standing in solidarity with Black people against racism. And so the question then, of course, became, but what are you doing, you know, in addition to just sending me this email? And so we have seen folks, companies, especially bigger companies, spending more of their dollars, putting them towards social justice organizations, and ideally spending that money in the community, which is one thing that we do think is a step in the right direction. Something that I've recommended as taking that a step further is to not just write the checks to these different organizations, but to actually form partnerships with these community groups to establish a, you know, a personal and meaningful relationship with them to really demonstrate that commitment. And I think that one of the big costs hits companies because of what we've now understand as cancel culture, right? So um, I know it's a global audience, and so I'm not sure how universal that phrase is, but of course we mean the sort of galvanizing, usually via social media, encouraging folks to withdraw their attention or their financial support of an organization based on some misstep or some deeper-seated issues that the organization may have. And so I think that the cost here could be financial. It could be a loss of some of that public goodwill because, again, employees and consumers are taking back some of this power and calling out companies who are not staying accountable to these commitments. You know, they're identifying these huge, these glaring discrepancies. And so I think that's one of the big ways that this can take a toll on businesses. Wokewashing doesn't just have a financial cost for companies. It also has a real impact on employees, as Marlette explains. I think what we're seeing is are quite a few different things, right? So for practitioners who identify as Black, it's kind of navigating this question of, okay, I'm not only having to process what is going on to those in my community on a personal level, but on a professional level, then going to have to, in some cases, prove why we should be doing this work, prove why my identity, my community, individuals who look like me, individuals who I grew up with, are worthy enough to be protected by the very individuals who are sworn to protect us. So it's a lot of the kind of mental work that often translates into physical fatigue as well. It also is affecting individuals who may identify as Black, but who do not necessarily do this work as part of their core job responsibilities, right? So I've had many individuals that I know who identify as Black who have been tapped to say, okay, tomorrow at our team meeting, I want you to share about your experiences as a Black male and how this is impacting you. And these individuals are like, I am not going to speak on behalf of X identity. I don't even feel comfortable sharing that experience. And I'm also not a person who can give you a full-on DNI workshop because that's not what I do. That's not my role. And to put the pressure on individuals to do that, we're seeing a, a huge kind of uptick in that, as well as putting on additional pressures to, for example, Black employee resource groups. And oftentimes these leaders and, and members are do this work uncompensated. And they do this work in a way that hasn't necessarily been amplified or, or as visible as kind of it is right now, and yet are consistently relied on 
as individuals who can kind of advance this when it really requires a lot more. It requires a culture shift. It requires dynamics and leadership and it requires employee-driven change. But oftentimes, it requires a lot more to be done at the top than it is to ask folks who are kind of the employees driving this to, to do the work that organizations should be doing. Given the sudden influx of corporate commitments, this year to racial equality and in previous years to gender equality, how do you know if an organization really means it? Here, Erin shares the signs your organization is engaging in woke washing. There are a lot of companies who have come out with statements about, you know, the money that they've given or the things that they've done. But the reality is, fortunately or unfortunately, we can all look at May 25th or 6th, the the date of George Floyd's murder, right, as the starting point for this journey. And so if you as an organization are saying, well, today, you know, less than three months into this marathon, we've got it all figured out, then I would have some follow-up questions for that because it means that you likely have not done as thoughtful or as thorough of a search for, you know, diverse thought or for structures that could prevent kind of this bureaucracy from permeating your process. And it it means that what you've likely done is you've kind of tapped the folks that you already know to help you achieve this highly superficial representation. And so I think that's kind of getting at what are some of the things that we're seeing that may indicate that people are still woke washing today. So I would say companies who have appeared to say like, we've done that everyone, thanks. At this date, I would say probably are are still doing some woke washing at some level. And Marlette shares how you can tell if your company is walking the talk when it comes to equality. I think one of the things that companies can look out for is what is your intention, right? And what is the goal? So is your intention been motivated by this recent resurgence or is your intention to promote and to drive a better culture where all employees can show up as their you know, full authentic selves? And so I think it's critical to ask the question, well, what is kind of motivating what you're doing? And I think it's also critical to ask the question, okay, who am I inviting to have these conversations? And am I empowering them in a way that doesn't feel as if I'm taking advantage of their kind of resources, their background, their insights, their identities to advance something, right? So I think it requires taking a critical look at the intentionality as well as the process through which you're going to be revamping the culture, revamping your marketing and advertising strategies, and making sure that what you're promoting matches and aligns with the internal culture and how your employees are perceiving it. So that requires a hard look at the data, right? What is the data saying about your culture? And can you, in good faith, kind of say that this aligns with what we're promoting? I think another critical thing is to think about, is this a priority or is this a value? Because we know that priorities tend to shift and priorities can be priority number one or it can be priority 10. And oftentimes priorities on advancing social justice, anti-racism, inclusion and equity are often priority number 10. However, core values are embedded into the institutional fabric of the organization. And they're something that are the guiding principles of what you do. So if your core values are aligning with the messaging, then I think that's a great point to kind of start. And if they're not, I think it requires a lot more internal work 
before you start promoting yourself as an organization that cares about this. And to add to that, a lot of companies are doing great things, right? They'll say, you know, we are going to hire X identity leaders by X date. We are going to create a DNI committee. We are going to hire more DEI professionals. However, it's important in even those types of efforts to take a look and to think, well, okay, you say you're going to hire X amount of Black leaders in the next couple of years. Well, who are those Black leaders? You know, Black people are not a monolith. Are you having folks of all different gender identities? Are you having folks from different national origins? Are you having folks from different class identities? Are you approaching things with an intentionally intersectional lens to ensure that you're not then just perpetuating these different systems and cycles, which tend to kind of advance one type of person or the other? So I think companies are making a really, really great kind of first step. And it's then taking a hard look at, okay, well, are these steps serving everyone? And if not, then consulting with experts to see how they can advance further. What can organizations do to really tackle inequality head on and create a culture that truly reflects what they stand for? Here, Maralet shares her views. One of the things that I really like from Dr. Iris Bonet is it's really hard to debias mindsets. So let's debias systems, right? Let's kind of build in equity and make sure that inclusive spaces are built by design. And so a few ways that companies can do that, for example, are let's take a look at our processes and let's ensure that they provide equitable opportunity for all employees. So for example, performance reviews. We know that women, and in particular women of color, get more personality-based critiques in their performance reviews. So let's go back, go to the drawing board, and ensure that managers are not only trained on that, but also that we are creating these performance evaluations such that that's not even possible for them to create those different types of comments, and that there's a review process such that those comments can kind of be removed. Another thing that we can do is I've seen some companies have, for example, two different executive sponsors for employee resource groups. A sponsor that is an executive that matches that cultural affinity, and then one that does not. It's a learning opportunity for someone in senior leadership to kind of better understand, okay, this is what the experience of these people who identify with a certain identity are having at my company. This is how I can build greater awareness. And then this is how I can sponsor these individuals in my own way, while also learning a little bit about cultural kind of competence. And so I think by just looking at the processes and the policies that you have and creating ways and creating structures so that we can provide equitable opportunity, then we can really see less reliance on woke washing and more reliance on advancing equitable opportunity for all employees. Finally, Erin shares what each of you can do at work to ensure you're practicing inclusion in a meaningful way. I would say that the diversity piece. It's achieving the representation and getting people into the room. But something that Marlette and I talk about in our trainings is that inclusion is actually incredibly hard work. And that's why nobody likes to do it. Because inclusion, you know, is that act of making sure that once people are in the space that they are feeling valued. And it's really hard to make people feel a certain way. We can think about how difficult that is in 
a one-person relationship with a partner or with a child. So you can imagine how daunting of a task inclusion can be with 10 reports or with a company of hundreds and thousands. So I think that's the important distinction is, and that's antithetical to woke washing because what woke washing says is I'm putting this blanket statement out and I really don't care how you feel about it before or how you feel about it moving forward. But inclusion would say, I've made this statement and before I made the statement, I talked to you about it. And after I made the statement, I worked with you to determine what would actually make this a more livable environment for you professionally. I would say that something that people can do to make sure that they're carrying this work forward is to ask questions after you've done a bit of your own research. And so we know that kind of asking these open-ended statements of Black people in this moment levies an additional emotional tax on them, which you know they re- we really don't need in this moment. So I think that everyone in the spirit of inclusion has these questions that we wish folks would ask us. And so I think it's perfectly fine to maintain that level of curiosity about each other and our experiences, but make sure that you've at least done some kind of threshold, you know, reading or even a quick Google search on your own, you know, and then try to engage your, your Black colleagues to deepen that knowledge. In terms of one action that I would encourage everyone to do, and this is particularly relevant because as you probably know, yesterday was Black Women's Equal Pay Day. And that means that August 13th was the date where the average Black woman earned the same amount as her similarly situated white male counterpart earned in 2019. So I wrote about this on my blog yesterday where I said that one thing that people can do is honor our authenticity. So honor people's authenticity by understanding what their experiences are um, and just engaging them in in dialogue. And I think even that is, you know, a simple act that can go a really long way. And I think that when you do that habitually, you are just making a habit of expanding your own set of experiences and really breaking down some of your own biases. All of us can be guilty of woke washing from time to time. Sure, we want to be the change. We aspire to practicing inclusion. We want equality for ourselves and our colleagues. But wanting it isn't enough. We have to invest. We have to commit. And in my experience, this only really happens when each of us understand how inequality doesn't serve us and how creating a more equal workplace benefits us. These are the questions I encourage each of you to answer for yourself. This is how we begin to move from allyship to real success partnership. I really hope today's episode encourages each of you to examine how you're living your own values and what it is that you're prepared to take a stand for. Before you go, just a quick reminder, you can get a copy of my book, The Fix, or the electronic or audible version from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, or at all major retailers. In reading The Fix, you'll learn how gender inequality works, what the 17 most common barriers are that all women face, and how gender inequality creates challenges to men's fulfillment of work. Most importantly, you'll learn what you can do to remove these obstacles and how you can begin to make workplaces work for everyone. So get your copy today and let me know what you think by leaving a review on Amazon. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.